the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Greetings, everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I want to welcome you back to a continuation of this series. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're sharing it with others. I hope you're even downloading it on, uh, on your platforms. I hope you've been using it in your interactions with skeptics or maybe even Muslims or seekers. But uh, no matter what the case is, we are systematically presenting to you evidence upon evidence that the early history of Islam is questionable at all levels. Today is no exception. We're going to start to talk about the man, uh, the man of Islam, and that's Muhammad. But first, we're going to start with the coins, because believe it or not, even the so-called Islamic coins debunk Islam itself. With me here to unpack all of this is no other than Dr. J. Dr. J, welcome back. Yeah. So how do the coins, the Islamic coins, debunk the history of Islam? Well, before we get into how they do it, the idea that that you need evidence from the 7th century has always been a stumbling block for us, those of us who have been confronting the origins, because we just couldn't find any evidence that we could put our hands on. Coins are brilliant, because coins are, don't disintegrate, they don't deteriorate, they're as pristine today as usually the day they're minted. They're so good, in fact, because they give a huge amount of information. Because of the fact that the rulers did not have television or radio or newspapers to announce when they came to power, what would you use? You would use coins to do that announcement because everybody touched coins. Everybody would use it in commerce, and that was the best way to get that information out to the populace. And what you would do is you would put your image on the coin, you would put your name on the coin, right. and you would put the date, and then you would put some religious identification to show what religion you belong to, especially in that part of the world because there were two primary religions that were competing. Uh, one was Christianity, and the other was Zoroastrianism, the Sassanian. The Persians were Zoroastrian, and that's why they were very clear as to who is Christian and who is Zoroastrian. There was no Islam that early, but that's what we think, and that's what we've been saying. How do we prove it? Let's look at the coins. Now, to begin with, let's look and let's go to the slide, and let's look and see where these coins are minted. Uh, this is the time of... Muhammad, and this is the time of Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali. So this is the time from 620 to around 660. When you look at that, you need to see that this whole area was under their control, was under Islamic control, right? If they were Muslims under Islamic control, they were the ones that are uh, minting these coins. Look where the mints are. This is really telling. Let's find out where the mints are to begin with. Well, first of all, all that Islamic uh, the Islamic tradition, the standard Islamic narrative tells us is that everything is happening down there. See where those two circles are? Medina and Mecca. Mm -hmm. As we've said, if everything's happening down there, that means the mints need to be down there. The mints 
where you make coins are not down there. Take a look at where they are. In Tartus and Huns and Baalbek and Dimashk and Dabaria and Albia and Baisan and Jerash, Amman, Yubna and El I know I'm destroying the names with my English American accent, but those are the mints. Notice they're all up in what is today Jordan and Syria and Lebanon and Israel, way up in the north. Nothing down that far south. Those weren't the only mints. The other mints where coins are made were over here. Uh, this is Susa and Dasht and Arajan and Dishapur and Ishkatar and Tabuk, Harzran, Darabjid and Kavadkhura. Now, these are what used to be the Sassanian mints. The others are the Byzantine mints. So you have two different sets of mints. They're much further north. They're where the water is. If there's water, there are people. If there are people, there are civilizations. Where there is civilization, there is money. Where there's money, you need to mint the coins. So these coins that we're going to look at are all from those mints. There are no mints further south unless you go way down to Yemen and Oman, the the Sabaean area. Other than that, there are no mints in between because there's nobody living there. Why? Because there's no water. I keep on coming back that there's no water. Now, let's take a look. And uh, all of these mints would have been under the authority of any Arab leader or caliph in the 7th century, including the Muslim caliphs. None of these mints were in the Hijaz. Instead, they were all situated too far north. Let's look at a timeline. Let's put some of the coins up there. And what do we see? Using a timeline, you can see it tells you the story. You follow the mints. I'm sorry. You follow the coins. You follow the story. If you want to see what was happening at that time, look and see what the coins tell you. At the time of Muhammad, there are no coins at all that, that say anything about him. He's not on any coin. Wait a minute. If he is the beginning of the caliphate, if he is the first caliph, if he is the caliph from 624 up until 632, why are there no coins with his name on it? Well, obviously, there are coins there, and they do have names on it. Uh, You can see the coins are all there. And what do you notice about those coins? They have crosses on them. And they are names, but they're not any of the names we would expect. Where's Umar? Where's uh, 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 you know, where is Uthman, especially, especially Umar and Uthman? Those are the two major ones. They had the most time. Where are their names? They don't see them there. That's true. I mean, you would think that their names would have popped up in any of these important transactions. Abu Bakr was uh, only a power for tools. two years and Ali was for only five. So maybe you can understand they were there long enough to make the coins. But certainly... Umar or Uthman's name should be there. No reference to anybody. Now, there is an Umar, but it's not the Umar we know. We're going to get to that. So the Sassanid Empire ceases, yet the Arab coins are Christian up to 661. 661 is when then Mu'awiyah takes over, destroys Ali, according to the what the tradition standards, the standard Islamic narrative tell us, this is when the Umayyad Caliphate comes to power and he mints coins. When he comes to power, look at the coins that he mints. Notice the coin has crosses on it again. If the Western mints all have crosses, the Eastern coins and the Eastern mints all have what we know as Zoroastrian fire uh, altars. This is Zoroastrian. So it depends on where the mint is. They're just representing the religion of that time. In fact, he himself is very clear that he is a Christian all the way up until 680. So Muhammad, if he died in 632... We're now 50 years later, 680, still the coins are either Christian or Zoroastrian. Nothing at all that is anything close to Islam. Then we get to Abdul Malik. When Abdul Malik comes, he introduces this coin here, this golden solidus. And you notice it is a picture of Heraclius and his two sons, and it's a mockery of Heraclius. Because what used to be uh, crosses, the the two, uh, the Heraclius holding crosses on those orbs, with his two sons, and the backside is a Byzantine cross, which is the Byzantine Christianity. 
He has taken off the crosses out of the orbs, and he has uh, made a mockery of the Byzantine cross. He has eradicated the cross piece. And he uses this as tribute to give to the Byzantines. Now, in doing that, he causes a huge reaction from the Byzantines, and they go to war with him. He actually beats them in the war. And what does he do? He then introduces this coin here. And there's a picture of himself on the coin. And the Shahada is introduced first on this first coin that I noticed. And the second one. The Shahada is La ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah. What mm-hmm. does that mean in, in, in English? There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. So this is the Shahada that we think is the introduction to the name Muhammad. Actually, it's not. And the reason we know it's not, and we're going to see that when we get to the Dome of the Rock. Yeah, and then some of the shahadas here are not really the, uh, uh, the, the the official one because the shahada, the official one, La ilaha illallah, here it says La ilaha illallah wahdahu. There is no God but Allah alone. Alone. Yeah. And why alone and who do you think that's referring to then? Well, I'm sure it's uh, competing with Christianity and Judaism here. For who is this who that's confronting? The person is confronting is actually Jesus. He is nothing more than the messenger. We're going right. to see that on the Dome of the Rock. But hold on to that until we get to that because that was created at the same time this coins, these coins were introduced. Mm-hmm. So we're going to looking at two pieces of evidence, but we need to keep our time on that. So here you have him, and he puts him his own image. That's uh, of the monarch holding the sword. So he's going to war. He wins the war, and this is his thumbing uh, his, at the Byzantines. He's thumbing his nose at them and saying, I have won the war. But then he introduces this coin here. See this coin here? This is the most dynamic coin because this one not only has the Shahada, it also has references to Surah 4, Ayah 171, and also to Surah 112, which then becomes, now when I say that, that's what the Quran, that's what those ref, that, those references are in the Quran today. They would not have been there. There is no Quran that earlier, so these became Quranic. But as you say, Wahadu is not in the Quran today. So even these are different. There's also Sharkatul, which means, and he has no associates. Yeah, that is, yeah. Sharkatul, that it means that it's attacking Byzantine Christianity. It's attacking the uh, divinity of Jesus. It's attacking the Trinity. Therefore, say not be, for he neither begetteth nor is he begotten is also on that coin there. That is attacking John 3.16, the idea of Jesus being the begotten son. So you can see this is an attack against Trinitarian Christianity. This is an anti-Trinitarian attack. These are Christian coins, actually. These are not Muslim coins. All the Muslims say this is proof that that's Islam. No, this is Abdul Malik, who is an anti-Trinitarian. He's attacking the Trinity. He's attacking Jesus' divinity. He believes as a Christian that Jesus is a prophet, but he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. He believes there is only one God. That's why the, the that's why there's such an emphasis on Wahadu that there is God and He is alone God. Mm-hmm. He's putting that emphasis there because He's attacking the Trinitarian formula. So the coins tell us exactly what's going on. What the coins are telling us, and let's just look at one more slide here. What the coins are telling us that all the curly coins are have a Christian identity. This is an internecine Christian attack. These coins are telling us that there is a a, a debate that's happening between the Trinitarians and the anti-Trinitarians. These are all, first of all, Trinitarian coins. That's why you have the cross there on all of them. Right up through Mu'awiyah, he is a Trinitarian as well. It's Abdul Malik. Once you get to Abdul Malik, he introduces the anti-Trinitarian element. And he's attacking the divinity. He's attacking the Trinity. He's attacking the sonship of Jesus Christ. These make sense if you're anti-Trinitarian. That's why the coins expose exactly what's happening. He's even going to war and putting up his own image. And then finally he comes up and attacks the sonship against Jesus Christ. He puts it both in the gold solar disk and 
also in the silver coins. That both the ones in Persian and the ones in Benzene now are saying the same thing. From this time on, from uh, 696 till today, all the images have been taken off. So images were there all the way up. Remember, you can't have images anywhere. What are they doing on uh, the Malik's coins? Mo'awiyah has images. They all had images. Right. So that was something that was introduced by Abdul Malik. But it was introduced as an anti-Trinitarian attacking the idolatry of Trinitarian Christianity and putting Jesus Christ's image. They take off all images and say, because that is idolatry. So the whole idea of idolatry was introduced by Abdul Malik. Look at the coins to see that. What are we going to talk about next time? The next time what we're going to do is we're going to go from the coins, we're going to go to the rock inscriptions. Because the rock inscriptions say the same thing that the coins say. Wonderful. Thank you everyone for joining. Hopefully you are enjoying what we are sharing with you. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Hello, everyone. Welcome back uh, to this amazing series. Last time, we showed that the uh, coins, the Islamic coins, debunk really early Islamic history. Today, we're going to so, uh, show that early rock inscriptions will do exactly the same. With me here in studio to do that and to unpack it for us, Dr. Jay Smith. Welcome back, Dr. Jay. Thank you. So good to have you back again. So what about the rock inscriptions now, since we talked about the coins already? Again, we need evidence that is material that we can look at that is able to withstand the vagaries of time. And this is the coins can do this. So can rock inscriptions made out of rock. They don't disintegrate. They don't deteriorate. And that's why it's important when you look at the rock inscriptions. I want to go up to the map. Take a look at this map here. And you notice uh, the rock inscriptions on this map, the ones in the north. The north are the ones that are from the 7th century. The ones in the middle are from the 8th and 9th century. And the ones in the south are from the 7th century. So north and south are 7th century. And then finally the rock inscriptions start to appear in the 8th century. And it's these rock inscriptions that you have uh, this man here, Ilka Lindstad, who did his doctoral thesis on it, looking at 100 years of rock inscriptions. And what he was looking at was primarily from 640 to 740 that 100-year period. Well, 640 is about the time when, uh, if Muhammad had been living, it would have been about the time that he died. Up until 740, that's about the time the Umayyads are de declining and the Abbasids are about ready to take over. So we're talking mainly about the Umayyad period and the rightly guided caliphs. That's the time period because this is the time period of really Umar, Uthman, and Ali, and then, of course, the Umayyad period with starting with Mu'awiyah. So that's important because this is the early Islam. This is how Islam began. The rock inscriptions that he's looking at are right in that time period. And what does he find? Well, it's important that we ask this because when you look and see what he finds, he notices that all the ones prior to 690, so all, that means the 7th century, let's just say 7th century, all the rock inscriptions that are in the north and in the south, 
That means up where the Byzantine area is, that's where uh, Jordan is, that's where Lebanon is, that's where Israel is today, parts of Syria, all the way up to Damascus. All the rock inscriptions you find there are Arabic. These are all in Arabic, and they're Nabataean Aramaic Arabic. So they have the Tarmad Buta, they have the Aleph Maksura, they have these endings that you don't see down in Mecca, Medina. You wouldn't see this kind of Arabic. We talked about that earlier in one another episode. That Arabic would have been Sabaic Arabic, much further south. And so when he's looking at this Arabic, these are usually rock inscriptions on people of people who are on their way on a pilgrimage. They're going somewhere, and on a pilgrimage, they're they're having and they're having professional uh, hammer out these these prayers. These are prayers, but what their prayers are, they are uh, they are. Uh, well, let me just put it up there. These are formulas. There is a bismillah in many of them, but it's not the bismillah we say today. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. Not that bismillah. Shahada, you know. The Bismillah, Laila Ilah. I'm sorry. No, Bismillah al Rahman al Rahim. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me on that. No, I thought you meant the Shahada when you said it. No, I didn't yeah. mean the Shahada. Yeah. It's the Bismillah, the yeah. Bismillah al Rahman al Rahim, which is praise unto God, the compassionate one, the merciful one. Right. So that is not. It's not like that at all. That comes much later. These are Bismillah. They start with Bismillah, and remember, Muslims say, "Well, ah, Allah." See, that's Islamic. No, Allah is the name for in Arabic for every god for every religion. So the Christians in Arabic, they would use the name Allah. It just as a generic title. It means the God. It could be any God. It could be Dushara, which is where the original Allah came from. The Dushara is the Nabataean Allah. So it, that, in, the, in these cases, with these inscriptions, Dushara is the God it's referring to because these are all found in the Nabataean area where Dushara would be the name, Allah would be the title. There's also Bismillah also to Alat, uh, which is the title for Al-Uzza. Al-Uzza is the feminine form, the feminine goddess, the wife of Dushara, whose title is Alat, which is the feminine form of Allah, as you know in Arabic. So being Arabic, if you look at the word, if you look at the title, you can see these all have antecedents. That would make sense. And this is what he found prior to 690. But then as he moved on and went past 690, once he got into about 710, so now we're getting in, we're now uh, moving into Abdul Malik's reign. He's now, um, he, di- he dies in 705. Al-Walid takes over. And if you look at the rock inscriptions, this Muhammad that was introduced on the coins in 691, also on the pro- uh, Caliph of Protocols in 691, and also on the Dome of the Rock in 691, 692, mm-hmm. they suddenly, this Muhammad starts to appear over and over again, this praise when this praise when this praise one so it's starting to become a person right what i was going to say is is it it seems here right now when you look at this yet another evidence is that if muhammad was so popular if the shahada was so popular if the besmala was so popular why the silent years Right, it could have started almost immediately. You would have expected it from the, from the time of the early seventh exactly. century, because that's he died in six thirty two. And then we find him north, not where Islam allegedly started. And we find him as a title for Jesus. We're right. going to see that in the next slide, in the next right. episode coming up. Right. In some ways, we are, I'm kind of jumping the gun on this. But this idea of him as a prophet only gets introduced in around seven ten. We're now in the eighth century, not in six thirty two when he supposedly died. And he's not in Mecca, Medina. This is much, much further north. What's interesting is the, the Muslim prayers, the rites, the passage, the five different 
what when you know is deen, you teach that in your course, the deen of Islam, which are the prayers, the pilgrimage, the fast, the Ramadan fast, the prayers, the salat, uh, the, uh, the, the pillars of Islam, the hajj. Yeah. These are all be starting to be introduced after 710. For the next 10 years, these start to get introduced. We thought that that was there at the very beginning. We thought that Adam and Eve did this. We thought that Abraham did this. No, they only start to be introduced in the 8th century during the Umayyad period. So this is starting, you can see the sequence. And then finally, not till 720 to 730 on the inscriptions, very late, obviously, did the name Muslim come start to be used as a person and Islam start to be used as a religion in contradistinction to Christianity. So this idea of a religion that is actually opposed to Christianity, that is against Christianity, that people are now saying people, uh, the Muslim really means someone who is subservient, someone who is obedient. Islam means to be in obedience and to be submissive. That idea is not introduced till 720 to 730. That's hugely late. Now, what does this mean? Well, it was only in the 730s, really, and onwards, that there is evidence of a popular devotion to Muhammad as a prophet and a messenger, which makes the Islamic traditions incredibly awkward. This stands right against the standard Islamic narrative. It goes against all of this, because the standard Islamic narrative, as you know, and as you've been told, and as you grew up believing, was something that was introduced by Muhammad himself. And if, I'm sorry, the standard Islamic says that all of these were introduced by Muhammad himself. That's correct. He was the first Muslim, uh, not the first, but he would say he well, was the Well, the Quran one, did declare him to be the first Muslim among many other things, but it's a contradiction, it of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And this idea of Islam in, in, uh, but it was, should have been around when Muhammad was living, it does not get introduced until at least 100 years later. Now, But even all of that, Jay, what I'm trying to say, why can't we find these inscriptions down south? Meaning around Mecca and Medina. Nothing. I mean, you would expect it to be around there. At least, sure, you can find it north. You can say, oh, because the expansion. But why is it concentrated north around, suspiciously, the time when we've been saying Abdul Malik played a major role in that? There's one answer and yeah. one answer alone. Yeah. There's no water. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Isn't that lovely? All you have to do is... It, that destroys no Mecca, you know, that destroys the destroys early everything. history of Islam, everything. Can you then see why you need to use this? Now, look at the coins. What we did in the last two episodes, the one before and now this one, we're looking and we're asking a very simple question. And this is the question, prove to me from the 7th century that there is someone named Muhammad, that there right. is a religion called Islam, that there are people called Muslims, that there is a book called the Quran, and that there is a place called Mecca. That's the five things we've been asking. That's the evidence we're looking for, because Islam needs those five. Right. Take away any one of them, and it eradicates the Islam. So, you can support the uh, Petra thesis, you can support the Jerusalem thesis, but you cannot support the Mecca thesis. No, in fact, we can now show just the opposite. And what was fascinating when we had that thrown at me that the absence of evidence does not mean evidence of absence that was thrown at me back in 1995, we're now turning on its head. Where there is no absence of evidence. We have all kinds of evidence. Right. The best evidence in the world because these are coins. Coins you can have in your hand. You can look at them today. I remember when I started introducing the coins back in uh, 2020. So we're talking about two years ago. I started introducing the coins on Fander Films. And I was just reading article after article after article after having gone down to the British Museum and seen the, the problem that they had because they were attributing something to Mu'awiya that actually, actually came from Abdul Malik. And I saying, you cannot, that was 30 years too early. And Hatun Tash noticed it and asked me to talk about it. So I did a whole series of 
uh, films on it in two, early 2020, suddenly I started looking at the comments and I started le- hearing people who were, uh, who were actually saying, I'm a numismatist, I am an expert on Arab coins, and you are absolutely right, but we can understand what we're looking at. So I found out who these guys were, and I emailed them, and I said, okay, why is it you're having a problem? He says, well, we can't fit this standard Islamic narrative onto these coins. They just don't work. I said, well, forget about the standard Islamic narrative. Those only start in Bidus in the ninth century. Now tell me what the coin's saying. You're the experts. You're the ones that can read it. Tell me what the Iraq inscriptions say. Tell me what Linstad is saying. They're the expert. You're the ones who are reading it. Just tell me what they're telling us. And they started telling me. And I said, well, then use that. Forget about, start impo- stop imposing what you can't impose onto these coins and these inscriptions. Let the inscriptions tell you. And if we, which needs, just shut up and stop mimicking and, mar- um, and uh, uh, parroting the standard Islamic narrative and let the coins speak for themselves, what are the coins telling us? There was no Islam, there were no Muslim, there was no Muhammad, there was no Quran, there was no Mecca. It's as simple as that. Amen. That's uh, what uh, it's all about. Uh, It's basically there is no such thing as a standard Islamic narrative that could be supported with evidence. In other words, absence of truth is not evidence of truth at all. Until next time, have a blessed day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.